All right, one minute past the hour, and that is uh, all I will offer customarily. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July holiday, and thank you for your patience with the uh, two-week break on the Bible studies. We are back at it as usual, and uh, Robert has another weekly lesson for us. So I don't have any uh, additional announcements, um, and we'll keep with the same question and answer format at the end. So without further ado, let's get into Robert's lesson. Okay. Well, I hope everyone had a good 4th of July. Um, you know, uh, as an immigrant, I I just always feel very blessed that I get to be an American and celebrate that. So um, it, it's always great. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to read the, the passage first, and then we will talk about it. I'm reading from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Now on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana, in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his, and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine left. Jesus replied, Woman, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, Whatever he tells you, do it. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the head steward. And they did. When the head steward tasted the water that had been turned to wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. You have kept the good wine until now. Jesus, Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay. So we finally get to a more kind of narrative part of, of John, right? The first chapter was very dense. There was a lot of theology there that we discussed. Now we get this very interesting vignette, if we want to call it that, this self-contained story. And really, there's a lot to it. I would like to begin by discussing just the background. Um, I think a lot of people here are actually quite familiar with the Bible, and they know this stuff already, so bear with me, but some people might not. The setting is a first-century Jewish wedding. These weddings were uh, events. Okay, they were incredibly important. I mean, of course, in our current culture, an event, I mean, a wedding, sorry, it's a big deal. But it, certainly at that time, a wedding was a huge deal. They would last up to seven days. And although not everyone would stay there for the seven days, some people would, probably the people closest to the family. The Jewish culture had a strong emphasis on celebrating. That may sound almost obvious, it's a wedding. But think of the emphasis they put at funerals, how people were supposed to wail and really express their sorrow for the passing of the person. Well, there was a similar emphasis on weddings. People were supposed to celebrate and show it and have a good time. In fact, um, most duties, even ceremonial duties, religious duties that people had were effectively waived at the time of a wedding. It was, you know, it was that important. Now, the wedding happens in Cana. 
Kena, we're not exactly sure which town that is referring to. Uh, modern scholars essentially are split between two locations. Not that this really matters. The, I think the, the only thing that matters as far as setting, as far as understanding what's going on, is that it is in a small town, uh, you know, a fair distance away from Jerusalem. So we're not dealing with the big city culture here. We're dealing with the small town kind of culture. Probably in those small towns, you did not have as many Pharisees. People were a bit more lax when it came to religious stuff. Perhaps. We are reading between the lines. Well, the miracle happens on the third day, right? We encountered that in the text. Where it says, now on the third day, there was a wedding. This phrase, on the third day, could be working as a literary device, pointing us to texts in the Old and the New Testament that also mention the third day. Of course, the, the one that would come to everyone's mind would be the resurrection, right? On the third day, you get the resurrection. Now, the other alternative with on the third day is simply that this happens the day after tomorrow from the last thing mentioned in chapter one. Frankly, I favor more of that latter option that this term is is not doing any more work than telling us the day after tomorrow. But there's many people who fall on the other side, and I, I greatly respect their opinion on that as well. Um, I In the blog, I particularly connect this to uh, God coming on Sinai on the third day in Exodus, and I give the reference there in case you favor that interpretation. Now, the other thing that I want to discuss, really just as part of the setting, I don't want to get bogged down on this because it's certainly not the focus of the sign of this miracle. It is this idea of wine and whether it really was wine or, or grape juice. Um, I, you know, again, this is not the controversy that I want to spend a, a great deal of time on. Um, but the, this is a controversy, particularly in North America, right? Because it, it, particularly in the United States, it was a huge temperance movement. And, and many argued then that essentially, uh, you know, drinking is a sin. Jesus would not have made wine and so forth. Uh, but in the text, it really seems like this is, in fact, wine. There's multiple reasons to believe that. Uh, first of all, uh, in those days, there was actually not a way to prevent the grape juice from turning into wine. There was no refrigeration, and nor could you put the, the grape juice in a container that, that you could uh, seal tightly. That may also have prevented the fermentation, but really you can do neither at the time. So any grapefruit given a few days would have had a certain alcoholic content. Now, also to be fair, uh, wine would get diluted with water. It would be anywhere between two to four parts water with one part wine. So we're talking a very small amount of alcohol Again, not that that's the focus of this passage, but I just wanted to clarify that because sometimes that comes up in, in conversation. Well, the so this kind of sets up the conflict, right? Think of weddings, they're such a big deal, and there's this expectation of the groom's family to 
provide this feast for everyone who was invited. And in fact, it was customary for there to be excess food and drink, right? You had to give the appearance that not only was there enough food for everyone, but you did not even come close to running out. Running out of food or drink would have would have brought terrible shame to the family. Okay, and from a modern perspective, this may seem kind of silly, uh, but it certainly was not to them. Okay, so that that is just kind of a key part of the context. Well, so they're gonna run out of wine, and the mother of Jesus, because John does not name. Mary, but I mean, we all know, of course, her name is Mary. Her name is recorded in the other Gospels. Uh, so Mary comes to Jesus and asks, hey, they're going to run out of wine. Can you make more? And of course, I'm paraphrasing. Now, they, well, actually, let me take that back. I should not paraphrase that way. Let me, let me read the actual question that she asked. Uh, she says, they have no wine left. And, and it's not even phrased as a question, but there's a question implied in that statement, right? Um, the reason I'm, I'm, I, I want to read her statement word by word, because we don't really know what's going on in her mind, right? Does she know that Jesus can just make wine? To give you, to give you an alternate perspective, right? Because you may be thinking, well, of course you wanted Jesus to make wine. That's not really the view that everyone takes. John Calvin, for example, the famous theologian, you know, if you've ever heard the term Calvinism, okay, that John Calvin, he thought that Mary was coming to Jesus just to ask him to uh, say some words, right? To, to kind of give some godly advice to the people at the wedding to minimize the shame that this event might bring upon, you know, to maybe stir up some forgiveness and, and, and some grace from everyone involved. Uh, maybe that is what she had in mind, or maybe she had in mind, okay, Jesus, you're going to do a miracle. But regardless, in the story, she clearly functions as this faithful believer coming to Christ saying, this is my problem. And Christ responds, or Jesus responds in uh almost a, an ambiguous way in the sense that this expression he uses, which in the translation I read says, uh, he, he says, woman, why are you saying this to me? There's actually an idiom used there that clearly implies like, this is none of my business. I have nothing to do with this. And if you want to read more about the idiom, it is actually in the footnotes of the NET Bible. And remember, you can find the NET Bible online and read all the footnotes. They explain that very well. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but Jesus effectively says, hey, I, I've got nothing to do with this. Um, also, rather quickly, I'm going to mention this word woman. This is a standard reply. This is not impolite, right? In English, it would be incredibly impolite if somebody, particularly my mother, asked me something and I was like, woman, you know, such and such. That is not the case. Jesus is not being impolite. This is just a cultural difference. However, that being said, normally uh, one would have used an even, uh, you know, a more polite term for his own mother. Perhaps one would have added an adjective before the word woman um, to symbolize a position of honor. And Jesus does not do this. So notice that in the passage, 
this this relationship of mother and son is not really what comes to the forefront, right? Because of the way that Jesus speaks back to Mary, it is more of the relationship that one would expect between one of Jesus' followers or believers and their Lord, Jesus. Uh, that's certainly the dynamic that we get from the text. Well, so... Although Jesus responds in this way, saying essentially, what, what is this to me? Uh, he, he goes ahead and does the, the miracle anyways. Now, the other phrase that, that I definitely want to focus on now is this idea that my time has not yet come. The other way you can translate this would be my hour has not yet come. And if you have read the Gospels, then you know that this idea of my hour or you know, Jesus' hour, it, it comes up all the time, particularly towards the end when we're talking about his death and resurrection and ascension, right? His time, his hour has come when it's time for Jesus to be crucified. So Jesus is, is quite clearly saying here, I, you know, I came here for a purpose. I came here to to essentially to be crucified. I came here to die. That is my hour. But my hour has not come. Essentially, it's not time for me to start this this journey towards the cross. Um, and, and then he starts the journey, right? This is the first sign. This is the first miracle, uh, at least in the Gospel of John. And so, in a sense, we could say that this is when Jesus begins to slowly progress towards the cross in a very deliberate way, right? The cross is not some accident that that happens at the end that kind of surprises everyone or anything of the sort. Uh, Jesus knows that that's where he's headed. That is his hour. That is his time. And at this moment, he begins. Uh, it is, I don't know, it, it, it's incredible to think about, in my opinion. Well, so what does Jesus do? Jesus tells the servants, hey, go get these stone water jars that they were for ceremonial washing. We've talked about washing before, right? When we were talking about the, the water baptism that John was doing. Well, it, it, well, we discussed at that point that this water baptism could relate to really several ceremonial washings that were part of Judaism. And this is just an incredible picture because there is a clear transition, right? Jesus is saying or, or showing really, not even not saying that's not the correct term, but Jesus is showing through this sign, we, we are moving past the ceremonial washing with water to something else, to something greater. And we've encountered this picture already, right? Uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one will come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Something greater is coming. And what does Jesus turn this ceremonial water or, you know, uh, cleansing water into? He turns it into wine. Now, part of why he turns it into wine is rather obvious. They needed wine for the wedding, right? Uh, but this is this brings up all sorts of connections in, in symbolism. And I try not to speculate more than I should, but it's impossible to miss at least a few connections. Uh, the one that certainly 
comes to my mind and the one that I, I shared on the blog is that right before the crucifixion, right? At, at, towards the end of the story, uh, Jesus has a last meal with his disciples. I know everyone is familiar with the Last Supper, but in case you're not, I'm, I'm trying to just kind of set the stage there. And in that Last Supper, he says, the cup, essentially the wine, is my blood. Drink from it. Right. So the, this, this celebratory wine comes to us through the death of Christ, and it sets up this picture from the beginning. And I think it's particularly beautiful how both the celebration and the prize come together in the of the wine, right? Because the wine is to celebrate. That That's clearly the case in that story, and that's clearly the case throughout the Old and the New Testament. But the wine comes to us through the death of Christ. Now, as I as I wrote my blog and and I was thinking, well, and, and I posted this, I received an email from somebody who's probably participating tonight uh, where, where he pointed out this really connects to the Old Testament. And I think he's correct. By the way, I probably should have added this to my blog originally, but he makes the point that, and if I misrepresent him, he can, I'm sure he can speak up later, but that in the Old Testament, there are multiple passages that point to this glorious end of days, which in the blog I refer to as eschatology, the eschatological times. Forgive me, that's a hard way. That's a hard word to say. Um, By the way, if you ever hear that, eschatology is talking about the end times. And, And Jesus talks about this, right? We are in the last days. Now, I'm not trying to get weird. I'm not saying that the world is going to collapse tomorrow or something like that. But we are entering essentially into the the last age of this this earth where we're being ushered into heaven. And there's so much more we could say about that. I just don't want to get super derailed. But point being that Jesus is pushing us to that to the last days, right? He's pushing us into the kingdom of God. He's pushing us into into the time of heaven. Um, And that is described in the Old Testament, sometimes using wine, particularly in that passage of Genesis 49, 8 through 12. It it talks about people will, I think, wash their clothes in wine. That's how abundant wine will be. Um, And and so this idea that, right, Jesus turns ceremonial, or, or, sorry, water for ceremonial washing into wine certainly also brings in that picture of the eschatological time. Um, it, uh, it is, in my opinion, just a, a, a beautiful sign where it points from the old to the new. It points from, uh, you know, just a symbol being the water to the fulfillment of that being Christ in his blood and and the wine that that becomes for for our forgiveness and our enjoyment. It's probably a good point to pause and just uh, let everyone know that if you're interested in raising a point of discussion or asking a question, go ahead and write question in the chat. Just the word question. Don't need to type out your question. And I will uh, randomize those if we have more than we can handle. Otherwise, I will just pull you in in order. And I think we probably have plenty of time to discuss tonight. So... Uh, If you're interested in speaking up, just write question in the chat and I'll get to you 
when Robert is finished up. Um, I have one more point about this miracle. And if we have enough time, I am prepared to talk about the next section. So just in case, if there are no questions, we will just move right along. Well, the last point in the passage is who recognizes the miracle and what are their reactions? In the Gospel of John, we constantly see this divide where the elite, I hope you guys cannot hear my dog. I'm sorry if you can, by the way, but okay. Uh, so we see this divide that the elite, they reject Jesus, but it is the more lowly, the dispossessed, the ostracized, the rejected. They are the ones who not only see, but recognize Jesus and many of them believe. That's what we see here. It is the servants who see the miracle, right? The people celebrating at the wedding, they, they don't see it. Um, and of course, it's not their fault. They simply were not there to witness it. But I, I do think that it, it goes along with a theme that is present throughout the book of John. But the, the apostles, not only do they see it, but they believe, right? They witness Christ's glory and they believe. What do we mean by glory? We've discussed this in the past, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it seems to me that to witness Christ's glory is to witness his character. And there's all those things that I've already mentioned today uh, come to the forefront. And that's what they're seeing, right? They're seeing um, how the new is passing away. I mean, the old is passing away and the new is coming and uh, how incredible Christ, Christ is in that regard. Um, so that's, that's, uh, Jesus's first miracle, uh, what it, what it's showing us, you know, what it's pointing us towards. And one last point that I will make, and then maybe we can go into questions. And if there are no questions, I'll keep on going. But John calls these miracles, he calls them signs. Okay. I keep using the word miracle in when we're studying the book of John, perhaps the word I should use is sign. Because John clearly is saying these events point to something. They tell us something, right? Um, and that's why I've, I've spent so much time, hopefully, on that. What does this mean? What is, that, what is this pointing us towards? Not so much the idea that he turned water into wine. Okay, Jesus is God. Jesus can do anything. That part is actually kind of the least interesting. <laughs> What's most interesting is what it means. Uh, and with that, uh, Matt, if you're okay with it, we can open it up to questions and then we can keep on going if there are none. Sure. I am going to exercise my right to ask a question first. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you stating things that you may think are obvious, but I assure you to someone like me, they are not. So that's where my question or questions will pick up. I, I'm curious about a couple things and they're kind of interrelated. So we have this wedding setting. Jesus is obviously there. His disciples are there. This is the first miracle that he has performed, at least in some sort of public setting that's viewable. Mm -hmm. Did the disciples follow him up until this? They believed he was divine up until this point, but they had never seen it demonstrated? Or did they get a private show beforehand? And the other question is about the setting here. Clearly, they're all invited. For some reason, they have some connection to this family. Do we know more about what this wedding means? Because just on a service level, to me, it seems like a strange setting. Okay, you got you got me. I'm really special. I can I can fix that. What is it about this wedding 
that is suitable for such a revelation. So on the first question, that is so hard to answer because, for example, in chapter one, we already saw that John the Baptist recognized Jesus for being the Messiah. But then we're going to see later on in the story that John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, hey, are you the guy? And so it's like John the Baptist believed, but maybe kind of not fully. He still had some doubts or maybe he changed his mind later. It's really hard to be in his head. Well, I think that with the disciples, we see a similar dynamic. At least one of the disciples clearly, quote unquote, believes in chapter one, right? The one that Jesus says, hey, I saw you under the tree. And he's like, oh, you are the Messiah. Like he clearly believes. But then in chapter two, again, it says they believe. And actually, this is going to come up later on as well. I think this is showing that they are kind of growing in their understanding and faith in Jesus, that it doesn't all kind of come at once. Um, that may be a little controversial. I think maybe some people would say, yes, they immediately kind of got it. But that's my take on that, that they are figuring it out as they go. Um, okay. On the second question, I don't think that there's anything special about the setting in the sense that who the wedding is for or, you know, any of that. These weddings, they were just huge public events. Uh, of course, not everyone was invited, but a lot of people were invited. In a small town, perhaps everybody would be invited. And you didn't have to be particularly close to the family to get invited. Uh, and also, even if you were not close, you were expected to accept and attend because it was such a big social event. So, and the reason I say this is because Jesus says to Mary, right, my time has not come yet. Like, this, perhaps this is not the right setting. That's what not seems odd to me. It seems so spontaneous as opposed to like a planned, a planned grand revelation, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that raises, I think, all sorts of issues about God's for knowledge. And I'm, I'm not saying that this, this says that God doesn't know everything. What I'm saying is clearly God in his for knowledge and power still interacts with us, right? Mary says, hey, can you do this? And he's like, well, that's not how I was going to do it, but okay, I'll do it this way. And of course, God would have known it would, it would happen like that. But there is this interaction between us and him that is very hard to understand, I think. And we could get into that one day I mean, if we really want to delve into that topic. Um, but that's what I would say at this point. There clearly is some form of interaction. Okay. Thank you for the insight. We do have maybe four or five question askers, so I will start getting through those and uh, we'll see where we are time-wise. Do you want me to leave time to say more toward the end or are you comfortable just taking questions as long as they no. take? Yeah, we can take questions, and if we run out, I'll introduce the next section because it has a really interesting issue to it. All right, first up is uh, Red Falcor. Let's see what he has to say. Hey, can you all hear me? Yes, sir. A little soft if you can okay. turn it up a, a little bit. I don't know if you can do that, but. Yeah, let me, uh, let's see, how's that now? That's better, yeah. Uh, am, I getting a lot, am I getting a lot of white noise off my fan? Let me know it's, You know, that's it's, true. It's fine. Okay. We don't need pristine okay. audio my... for this production, you know what I mean? This is my this is my new uh, uh, Tacoma setup. So oh cool. Um, but uh, but I, I have a qu qu question actually f for Matt. Uh, 
I'm hmm. inviting Matt to speak more. Uh, if he, you can't break the rules. All right, does, <laughs> if he doesn't want to, I can, I can kind of do it because yeah. I think uh, me and you, Matt, are a little bit in the same place in this way. Um, in, in, I'm, I'm cu cu curious how these uh, Bible study sessions are uh, affecting you, um, sort of emotionally, intellectually from a belief standpoint hmm. and you know, if you f f find your perspective on the whole thing ch changing is it too early to say um how are you digesting it so far i think it's i think it's just too early i i can't say that there's been some big click where it all connects and and suddenly um that big question that i've been looking for which is what is it that connects what I see is the moral framework of the world to the teachings of Jesus Christ, which is kind of what we're getting at here. Has that moment happened for me? No, not yet. But you, you got to give uh, fair time to something like this for that to happen. And even if by the end of this, we get through maybe not just John's gospel, maybe more beyond that, and it never happens, I still would like to look back at this and say, okay, but now I have a much better understanding. And now I've read through a lot of this text and even if it hasn't clicked for me i know why or if someone brings up a reference or brings up a lesson or a point of a biblical nature i'll have a more intelligent opinion about it so there are high level moral questions that i'm really eager to answer but even if i can't i think that it's it's something that is of such foundational cultural relevance that even if that's all I get out of this, uh, I think it's it's still of high value for that. So, um, I uh, I yeah I'm I would say that I'm getting what I hoped for out of it, and uh, the the ultimate goal is I don't know if I had the clean the clear answer to that. I suppose uh, uh, I don't know <laughs> I I don't know that anybody has the clear answer that I'm looking for. You know what I mean? But uh, I feel like I'm becoming um, more educated in my perspective. Uh, if nothing else, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, just to say that I'm I'm still uh, struggling to read the Bible from my uh, s s secular hmm. uh, ag ag agnostic atheist uh, uh, upbringing, and it 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 still sounds like a foreign language to me, but. Hmm. Uh, Maybe as we go along, we'll 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 get to where that's not the case. Well, and that's why I'm thankful to Robert too, because reading this as reading this in a modern context without some of that historical understanding, like when I read uh, Jesus replying to his mom with woman, like you described, I mean, to me that brings a smirk to my face. But I know it's not supposed to, and it's even just things like that where it's like, okay, I'm glad someone can explain what that means and that it's not Jesus backhanding his mom, which is what it sounds like today. Um, and so if I were just to sit down and read this stuff on my own, I, I wouldn't have nearly as complete of an understanding. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that as well. Do you have any other thoughts you wanted to add before we let you go? No, that's about it. Thanks, man. All right. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Uh, did you have any thoughts on that topic, Robert? Uh, no, I think, well, I hope that 
as we get further into John, maybe it will start kind of clicking and we will actually address the more like philosophical stuff. But yeah. I've been trying to stay pretty close to the text and kind of address what's there. And I think it will come together at some point. I hope so. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, it certainly was not my expectation that we read a chapter and my entire life's perspective will have mm. been changed. So <laughs> I hope that doesn't come off as like some kind of knock or something like that. Oh, no. uh, okay. Next up is uh, Gilgamesh. Let me see if I can get you unmuted. Hey. Or, yeah, you guys have the power to unmute yourselves, I guess. Here I thought yeah. I set it up, but thank you for just uh, obeying the rules. I appreciate it's okay. that. Uh, yeah, what's I have in a, mind? I've been looking into the whole you know, crucifixion. You brought that up, Robert. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I looked at how the Romans did crucifixion. And mm -hmm. they didn't do like when we look at the cross the way that they did it more like an X. And they would tie the rope around and pull like they wanted you to suffer. I mean, truly suffer like agony. That, because if you just did it the way that they depict it, then he would have just he wouldn't have suffered for the crucifixion. And so why is it that the church changed the, you know, to make it look more, you know, the way that we see him on the cross instead of what historically the Romans did the, the crucifixion? I'm just curious about that. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you are correct that. It's quite likely that the way we picture the cross is not actually the way that it happened. There's there's two other possibilities. One you mentioned, which is an X. So yeah, like well, you this. take the cross and turn it this way. Yeah. And the other option, the one that actually I think is most likely, is a T. It's like this ah. because what probably happened, and I know that I am like destroying every mental image that everyone had about this. I'm sorry, but probably when Jesus was carrying the cross, he was only carrying the top beam, okay? And the yeah. bottom beam was already on the ground. Mm -hmm. That just stayed on the ground. And so then th all they do is they put the beam on top, they tie it up or whatever. It's rather easy to do. And then the person hangs on that T, okay? It would be much harder to make a cross like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and as far as like where they, when they, you know, where they crucified him through, they did, when they have done it, simply through the wrist instead of the hand because you know the hand would it have held it wouldn't have been able to hold up wouldn't it have been easier to do it through the wrist uh, okay so that i i don't know as much but i have actually heard arguments both ways i've heard some okay. arguments that it may have been through the wrist and some arguments that the hands actually would have held and that was not unusual okay and that's all i can say uh because i just haven't looked into it more okay i was just curious about that because it's something that stuck with me because when I looked at how the Romans, you know, they tend to make you want to suffer, you know, mm -hmm. that's why when pot, pot, he says, you know, he washed his hand and says, this is on you. This is off. You know, when he's, when the, when they say crucify him, he goes, has he not suffered enough because of what they put him through? He yeah. says, okay, this is on you. This is not on me. He washes his hands because he knows what's coming next. And, yeah. you know, so it was horrifying. He was like, you guys are the ones that want this. I don't, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. It's horrific. If if you want to get a like a historical take on what crucifixion looks like, there's a book called Dominion by yeah. uh, oh, I Tom know Holland. Yeah. yeah. It, it's excellent. In, well, yeah. And Mel it's Gibson, just, it's kind of horrific. Yeah. Mel Gibson did a great job in his movie, The Passion of the Christ, going really into. I was surprised he taught everybody Aramaic for the movie because that's like a language that's considered dead mm -hmm. and everybody i mean they all said they stayed in speaking that throughout the entire production they didn't break character 
you know, and it's like, wow, they really learned, you know, that's how good of a director Mel Gibson is. He really got uh, into the, you know, and it was like, oh my God, it's so horrifying watching him get tortured. And then they say, oh yeah, we're going to crucify him on top of it. It's like, has he not suffered? Can I ask a a morbid question in closing here about the, the orientation or shape of the crucifix? If it's, Mm -hmm. if you're describing more of a, an X shape, well, like this, turn it sideways. Turn it sideways. So how is yeah, the cross, is the like is the, the person who's crucified still arranged the same way, like upright, arms spread out, or is the arrangement of the person different? Well, what they would have done in Roman time is take the arm, tie it to a horse. That's why there was rope around the wrist, and oh. pull the arm out. And then as soon as it's broken, the like this is all torn and broken. Then yeah. they nail, they tie the rope, and then nail him to the cross, and they do the same thing to the legs. So your arms are out. And oh, your so your legs body's like as, an X shape. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's how wow. they would, would do a crucifixion. Wow. Okay. Because they wanted you to suffer for a long time. <laughs> they didn't want to go easy. That's yeah. why he was like really like shocked that they wanted to crucify sure. Jesus. You know. All right. So well, well thank I, I you. I gotta get to a few more questions, but okay. thank you. Uh thank uh-huh. you for the uh insight. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Next up is uh Brian. And I guess if you guys are if you're able to just unmute yourselves, just uh unmute yourself as I call your name. Brian Irvin is up next. And uh, we'll get to his comment. Brian, are you there? Hi, I have a comment and a, and a couple of questions. I don't want to monopolize the time. Sure. Are there a lot of people after me? Just uh, let me see. Let me. Why don't you ask? Offer your comment, and I'll come back and see how many we have. See how many people we have looking to speak. Well, I'm the I'm the meddlesome critic who uh, offered my unsolicited advice to Robert. Um, ah. I did, but he he did a pretty good job of summing it up. I just I I wanted to clarify a couple of points. Um, sure. It, it wasn't so. I don't think the sign was so much to uh, to point to point to the time of the uh, of you know the end times. I think it, it was specifically to point to the figure of the Messiah. Like that uh, that passage in Genesis is the climax of the whole book, and that his blessing of Judah was the high point of that climax where he uh he talks about the lion of judah and this the scepter will not will not uh um depart until it comes to, to he whom it belongs or till it comes to shiloh and the obedience of the nations is his and he talks about how he'll uh he specifically will wash his garments in the blood of grapes and tether his donkey to the choicest vine that that the imagery meaning that under under his reign prosperity will be such that uh wine will flow as abundantly as water and that's how the and it when you look at it in the the context of of john's gospel the uh the chapter and verse headings are these are these are these are much more recent innovations they didn't that wasn't in the original writing and so we tend to uh we tend to break it up differently than it was intended in the original writing it it seems like this is meant to bookend Jesus's remark about how the angels of God will you you will you know you're amazed that I saw you under the fig tree you will the time will come when you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man this is a reference to Jacob's vision at Bethel and the the kind of bookending those two is meant to tie Jesus back to Jacob as a person um basically saying his the story of Jacob's life Jesus is what's that is what's that about um sorry I Got a little tongue tied there. Jesus is what that story is about. It's all it's all meant to be pointing to him. And Jacob's ladder ties back to the Tower of Babel. There's a whole thing I could 
say about all that. It, it ties to the divine council worldview, but uh, there's anyway, I could go on and on about that, but there's, there's, there's so much more to it than what either Robert or I could probably get into right now, but uh, there's that. But uh, my question is, do you want to do you need to take somebody else because i've already taken up a lot of time i have a couple oh. questions related to matt you're muted thank you robert um yeah we only have one more question asker after you so we should have time uh the only thing i was going to say is if robert wanted to add thoughts to what uh you just discussed brian uh before uh, we move on no i think all that is is very good thank you for your email um i guess the only short thing that i will add when i talk about the you know, the end times, the eschatological times in, in the, in the old Testament, the Messiah and the end times are tied together, right? Like the, the texts about the Messiah are also the texts that inaugurate the last days. So that's why I, I guess I used that phrasing, but to have phrased it in the sense of this is when the Messiah comes, at least in my book would effectively be equivalent. Yeah, uh, I, wasn't, so, I wasn't disputing yeah. Your, your point, I was just, I, just to put it more strongly, yeah. point, it does point to that time, definitely. But more specifically, it points to the figure of the Lion of Judah. And that's, you know, one of the earliest, most conspicuous Messianic prophecies. Um, hmm. So, you know, again, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying any of that to be argumentative. Just oh, no, not at all. Please. I don't take it that way. But sorry, go ahead with the question you were going to ask. Uh, well, I wanted to ask Matt. You, you, you kind of made vague reference to some questions you have, mm -hmm. um, in terms of your your seeking out the the truth or the meaning of Christianity. Can you mm -hmm. can you speak one? Can you speak more specifically to what you know what those exact questions are? Uh, two, have you ever thought about doing like an an apologetics type uh, Zoom meeting like this one to to kind of explore these um, questions? Or directly I'll, I'll take the question the second question first uh for me i want to start really basic and that's kind of what i'm aiming to do with this and i it's it's really my intent to see how that goes and see what potential other areas of interest branch off of that so for the moment i don't have plans to expand it but uh, to the extent that i think my interest in this might grow or maybe a community might grow out of this uh, i certainly wouldn't close the door on any uh, future projects like that. Um, as far as your question about what I'm looking for, I know you're asking for specifics, but the trouble is what I'm looking for is very, very broad, actually, in a sense, I suppose. Um, I guess the, the, the way I try to describe it, and I probably sound like a broken record to some people because I do discuss this frequently, I think that there is an objective moral framework to the world. I think there is a such thing as right and wrong. And I think that had to come from somewhere. I don't think that what we think of as right and wrong, as in cold-blooded murder or any other inherent wrong, um, that, that it's just that we as humans decided that one day, whether we voted on that or whether a king decreed it, I think that there's some kind of fundamental moral truth that underlies the, the wrongness of such an act. And I want to know where that came from. And I don't have an understanding of the Bible or of Christian faith sufficient to connect it to that uh, or to understand if that's uh, the source or a, a proper articulation of the source. And so that's why I'm doing this is because on one hand, I see moral framework in the world. 
not something that we as humans decided, but something that exists before us and independent of us. And on the other hand, I see a very popular explanation for the origin of such things. And I don't understand that explanation. So I'm giving that explanation a chance to connect those dots for me. Um, I hope that's sufficiently specific, but it's about very broad concepts, you know? So if I can explain any more, let me know. But, but that's, um, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I feel <laughs> it's, uh, you're like a, a, a Christian evangelist dream, by the way. It's, uh, uh yeah, that's, which is ironic. Cause usually if anyone knocks on my door, I say, get the hell off my property. But well, uh, now come in and have a cup of coffee and tell me everything, you know, well, I'd be, you know, happy to talk to you further about these, about these issues. I feel like I can, I feel like I have specific answers to those broad questions. I'm sure a lot of people here do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, to, to narrow it down, what if you found out the resurrection is true and you could know that it's true? How would that affect your uh, those broad questions? Um, well, I suppose I suppose we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But to the to answer truthfully, I don't know because I, without a deep understanding, I don't know how the resurrection would connect to uh, the world's moral framework. I, I, that's not a dot that is connected in my mind. So for, at this point, if, I, if you could prove to me that the resurrection was, was true, um, I'd probably say, wow, that is an incredible supernatural event. I'd still have a question about how that explains uh, what the objective right and wrong of the world are. I, I don't want to interrupt, but I think someone else has a question on the we chat. Do. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, um, sorry, I didn't mean to monopolize. No, I, I appreciate it, and, um, and thanks for your participation, Brian. I suspect that as we continue this project, we'll, I'm sure our discussions will continue as well, and I, I invite your input and your, your um, discussion on the matter. So uh, the, only other, the only reason I'm hedging a little bit is because, of course, um, there are, there's only so many hours of the day for not just this, but literally everything. So I'm doing the best I can with my time availability, and... Um, Perhaps well, I will one. add one more thought that this is the most important question you'll ever explore. It's uh, I, I agree that as I've grown, it's um, and I say that as an enormous fan of your work as a journalist and a podcaster, recognizing you do pursue a lot of important things. This this is uh, sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, I, I, I agree. Um, and that's this is, I understand this is a giant pool and it's a very important pool and I'm only dipping my toes in. And uh, there's a compelling argument that I should climb up to the high dive and jump right in because it's the most important thing you could probably do. I, I trust me, I get it. But, um, but you know, you just have to understand too. It's like, uh, I come from, well, I don't know, 10 years ago, I would have been scoffing at these concepts and scoffing at the idea of a Bible study. You know, it's, um, it's something that is, I, I think I just have to ease my way into it. Um, and, and I have to seek it at my own pace and on, on my own terms. And I appreciate your invitation. Uh, but you, you, might be, you might be disappointed with my pace, but I assure you, this is the fastest pace I've ever gone in my entire life on this topic. So, um, so you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of progress in that way. And thank you for your kind words, by the way. I appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, Cindy and Eric are up next. If you guys can get yourself unmuted, go for it. Otherwise, I can pull you in. Thanks, Brian. Hey. <laughs> hey, guys. Okay, so can you hear us? We're good? Yeah, 
loud and clear. I'm pray, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the talking, but we're like on on the same page okay. <laughs> with what we're gonna say. So um, the the first thing, based on Red Falcor asking the question, um, about like where you are and how this is affecting you, mm-hmm. you know, no amount of Bible study, um, that's like the the second important thing in the whole process. And the first thing is really if you want to know is to ask God to reveal Himself to you. Mm. So. That's my counsel to everyone always when we have these discussions is ask him. And then if this is the tool he uses to touch you and to show you, if he reveals himself on the sidewalk, that's that's between him and you. But the first thing is for you to want to know and to ask him to show. That's that's yeah. his job to Just show himself to you. Well, we'll not get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And um, so I, I and that's one thing I appreciate about this study, too, is it it sort of happened in a way because it seemed like it was supposed to happen. It's because I started asking these questions and Robert, who I've known for a long time is like, Hey, I, I need a new Bible study. Uh, well, there you go. There's your opportunity. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm certainly, I I take that to heart that you need to be attentive of opportunities that present themselves. You you can't find answers without asking questions, I suppose is something that uh, a lot of people asking asking him is the, is the big one. Yeah. So, and so I have a question. Don't rely on us or who are yeah. Is it yeah. Our, our, our salesmanship. Yeah. And I, That's I not... <laughs> uh, um, Robert, I don't mean to exclude you in any of this. So if you have thoughts that you want to add, I don't know how suddenly I've been put on the stand tonight, I guess, but absolutely. Well, I, I have yeah. a question. I do we're have, not, a, I do have something for Robert. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I, no, I appreciate it. And thank you for that. That's the whole point is, is building community and, and, yeah. helping me think about these concepts. So I appreciate that. And I just want to say, I fully agree with Cindy's comment that if you're, if you're wanting to meet God, then pray, you know, pray God reveal yourself. Um, because, you know, even, even from an outside outsider perspective, you can think of it this way. Like if God is real, right. If God is truly alive, then God can truly respond. And so it's absolutely rational to say, well, God, if you're out there, I would like to meet you. And, and I notice a lot of people will ask questions and they'll, um, they'll, and you'll say that to them and they don't ask because they don't actually want to know. Like hmm. they won't ask him, right? They'll keep asking other people, but they won't ask him to reveal himself because they don't really want to know. And that's between them and him too. So Robert, can I, I have a question for you too. And you, you touched on it. Um, it's something that we had learned a long time ago is the idea of, um, but you can explain it is the idea of, um, you know, when I think we were explained that it was like the Jewish mindset of study and of the word is that um, when you hear a word, they are trained to like bring up every reference in the Bible that that word is used. So if you say rock, they are thinking every rock reference they've ever heard. It all matters. Yeah, it doesn't stand alone. So if you want to. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think that we we do that also today as christians essentially just not quite as good right because and and i know that you know this but the jewish people at the time at least the very devout jews they memorized the torah i mean they they had the scriptures memorized it's really incredible and so perhaps like i mentioned words like in the third day Perhaps that was meant to bring up all of these references, right? Or perhaps it just right. meant the day after tomorrow. And yeah. some 
sometimes I would say it's very clear that this is meant to convey stuff and sometimes it's not quite as clear and we do the best that we can. Um, but to, to the point that I, I think you're bringing up and, and tell me if I, if I got it wrong, but we are meant to read into these words. Like John is being very purposeful about the language he uses and we should be connecting it with the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, it is on purpose. Yeah. And there's, and there's, I'm well, sure that one of the references we have, it says on Tuesday, not the third, you know, third day, mm. actually says Tuesday. So the third day could just be the first day is Sunday. You know, they call them the first through the seventh day. They don't use Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. So exactly. Third, yeah. Third day could mean Tuesday or it could be like you're I mean, saying, but then all, why would it matter? It's all, it's all the same. Why would right. that matter? Unless it was a reference to other stuff that was going to come or stuff that happened. Yeah, I was curious about that. That was one other question I wrote down that seemed less important to me. But Robert, you had mentioned that some believe there mm. is more significance to this third day thing. And I understand mm. there's the the significance of the resurrection, but is there is there significance beyond that? Is this number is third day or the number three something that is recurring in other contexts? Yeah, well, Trade. the number, <laughs> certainly the number three appears all over the place because it, it appears in the idea of the third day and it appears, of course, in the idea of the Trinity, right? You have three yeah. persons in God. But for just two quick examples of on the third day, one would be the resurrection, right? Like Christ came back to life on the third day. And keep in mind that the way they count days is different to the way we do it. I was always confused as a kid why we said on the third day, if like Jesus died on Friday and was resurrected on Sunday, to me it was like on the second day, but they, they counted yeah. a, a day different. That yeah. That's neither here nor there. But, <laughs> um, but uh, there's that reference, of course. And John was the last one to write his gospel. So his audience would have already been familiar with the resurrection. So they probably would have been thinking of that, even if that comes later in the story. But another connection you could make, and again, there's many in the Old Testament, when God comes uh, on Mount Sinai, that also happens on the third. That's when like God gives them the law and the Ten Commandments and all that stuff that would also be on the third day. So maybe we're supposed to connect it to that. Um, all I, I'll just say this, the, the way that I try to present the information is these are options and then people can make up their mind because to be frank, I'm not completely certain. Sure. I didn't mean to steal your time there, Eric and Cindy, if you have a closing oh, no, that's thought. Okay. No, it was just, yeah. it was just that, that thing, just that, yeah, just that idea that, um, even if they don't apply, right. But they would still yeah. come to mind. You would still yeah. like weigh them and other yeah. times that. Um, that it's been re been referenced, and that's so you know, you'll see cross references when you look at a Bible. They'll they'll give them to you and help you out with them, or the concordance. You could look it up, and it'll tell you all the references to that word. And Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank but, you guys. Because it's not an isolated study, right? I mm -hmm. mean, it's mm -hmm. it's all connected. It's one history. Yep. So. Well, thank you guys. Uh, have a great night. Appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, we do have one more, just in time. Daniel, thanks for your patience. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Daniel, if you're hanging out. Sure, thanks. What's on um, your mind? Yeah, I was just gonna on the uh, on the the uh, lesson itself. I was gonna ask um, Robert, um, you know, if you had any additional thoughts about the um, 
you know, the significance of, of the fact that uh, the first miracle of Christ was at a wedding, uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not so uh, satisfied by the idea that um, this was accidental, um, which is probably not what Robert was saying. Um, but, you know, that uh, I think that this is, he mentioned, um, you know, the, the wine uh, comes up again in the Last Supper. And there's, you know, there's something to be said about um, the uh, the eventual Church of Christ being considered the Bride of Christ. I, I just wanted to, wondered if Robert wanted to touch on any of that uh, before we go. <laughs> well, I guess the, the one thing that I would clarify, just so I, I'm not misunderstood or perhaps I, I did misspeak, um, you know, with God, this idea of something being accidental and being on purpose, it all kind of collapses, right? Because God knows everything. So really there are no accidents with God. Um, and yet somehow God is still interacting with his creation. Like in this case, Mary saying, hey, could you do this? And Jesus responding, well, and I'm paraphrasing, but this wasn't, this wasn't my time. I'll, I'll say it like that since that's pretty close to the original text. And, but again, this interaction would have been foreseen by God. So I think one could equally describe it as being 100% on purpose and 100% by Mary's request because God would have known Mary's request. You see, with God, all of this collapses is very hard to think about it. Um, so let, I just want to say that, not, not to make it sound like God was surprised by this. Like, oh, no. I planned it this way. I guess I'll improvise. I certainly did not mean that. And not that, not that Daniel, not that you, you were saying that I said that. But um, I do think that the wedding is relevant, particularly in the sense that it conveys celebration uh, in a new beginning, right? That's, at a wedding, you, you have, like you said, the, the church in Christ, the church is described as a bride, and, and they come together. And so you have this coming together of, of God's people and Jesus in this very kind of celebratory uh, mood, if we want to put it that way. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, I do have one request from Brian with a follow-up comment. We are sure. one minute to go before the top of the hour. Are you feeling generous to Brian? Oh, sure. All right. What's on your mind, Brian? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to comment that, uh, I mean, I, I agree that you absolutely should pray and ask God for guidance. Hmm. Uh, but also, God speaks through the church in the present age. This is more to my fellow Christians in the gathering than than to you necessarily since you're you're not at the point yet where you necessarily believe in god or in the church but uh i just uh i just thought that was worth noting and uh that's all i got okay well thank you for the thought appreciate it okay did you have uh, any other thoughts robert no uh next time then we should start with verse 12 and I don't know where we will stop. Give me some time to think about it. I will put it on the blog. But uh, to, tonight was great. I'm sorry, Matt, that you know you had to do most of the talking. I bet you weren't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I, I like uh, I like having you know ample time to discuss like that. And as this goes, I expect we'll get a little more of a kind of a community aspect to this as we all get to know each other and develop comfort with each other. So I appreciate that there was plenty of time to do that. And thanks everybody for. Um, for getting me into the mix because that forces me to think critically about these things. So, 
Uh, and of course, thank you, Robert, for uh, your lesson. And the only thing I have to say in closing is just a reminder to everybody that if you miss any part of the study, of course, uh, this audio is posted on uh, in, in Robert's blog post each week. And then you can uh, also find it on podcast audio platforms, which I have linked on the Bible study page as well. But other than that, uh, we will call that uh, a week's lesson, and we will hopefully see you back here uh, next weekend. Thanks, everybody.